believe God is doing a great work. Touching people right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I believe healing has just went forth right now. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister Dana's home watching. Sister Dana, I feel the Lord touching you right now. In Jesus' name. Come on. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. I want to uh, remind everyone that next Wednesday, after the service, uh, my wife will talk a little bit more about it. She's got a handout for you tonight. But uh, whatever you, we're not going to hand them out yet, Brother Jeremy, just, yeah. But uh, anyway, um, when that uh, event has been done, when you've written down what that core fear, that core belief is, we're going to have a, uh, a fire pit out back and uh, you can put it in there as a as a sign of saying i'm going to overcome this in jesus name and and walk away from us so we're going to be doing that next wednesday night after the service so just keep that in mind amen we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids and uh, teens i believe are going out tonight students okay and i think we have elements as well so god bless all of our groups thank you so much for uh, all that help with that all of our staff why don't we give them a great big hand don't they do a great job week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday? So grateful for that in Jesus' name. Before my wife does come tonight, Sister Jackie Ferris is going to come and share with us uh, just a, 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 a brief uh, discussion about uh, the development of the brain. And I believe it will help you to understand, uh, and then my wife's going to uh, share some things as well after. So, amen. Let's worship the Lord. Let's receive what God's going to speak tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you. Sister Powell asked me to give a 10-minute <laughs> brain anatomy class uh, before she, she talks. So I'm just going to be brief. Um, but, you know, Sister Powell's done a fabulous job. As we all know, she um, she's really passionate about helping people to be able to overcome traumas, to be able to overcome their past and be able to move forward successfully. Um, into the into your future and be you know happy in Christ and and um, successful if you will um, and uh, I have a big issue to my glasses I'm 55 yes I am and I can't see you or I can't see here and I brought my glasses to see you and not to hear so sorry about that anyways I wanted to start this again it's just going to be a few minutes to read Psalms 139:14 when David said I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We are absolutely amazing creatures, and I'm a little partial, but I think the brain is the absolute most awesome, coolest part of our body that we have, and I, I'm getting some thumbs up for that. Um, I think the more I, I study it, the more I think, oh my word, there is so much I don't know, and it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, but with that, um, there's a lot of answers to questions if you, if you understand just a little bit about the brain. When, when babies are born, um, they're born with billions of, of uh, neurons. Um, actually, almost twice as many as you have when you're an adult, believe it or not. Um, that is the only part of the body that doesn't rejuvenate and build new cells, by the way. Your brain does not. So that's why when we turn 55, 
we're not always remembering where our keys are and everything because our, that capacity doesn't continue to increase. Um, so, um, but babies, when they're born, like I said, they're born with billions of, of neurons. And from that time, they begin to make connections in their brain, okay? They, um, the, the, you start to see the baby goo and ga and, and, and smile and, and um, be able to reach for things, be able to crawl, be able to walk, be able to, you know, chew food, all kinds of different developmental, as we know, what they call developmental stages. Um, and all that time, those neurons are just making connections and they're coming all together and it's all wonderful and great. Um, but the most important time of those to that development of the, of the neurons and everything, believe it or not, is in the first five years of their life. Because that is almost what we call the foundation or the n underpinning neural networks that are building that's going to impact the rest of their life. And that is the most critical and crucial part. From zero to 18 months, they're you're going to they're going to know if there's if there's going to be trust or not. Now that's not to say, and, and Sister Powell is going to talk to us about neuroplasticity, but she's also going to talk about, you know, we are new creatures in Christ. All of that can be changed. But again, I'm look I'm going solely on the physical, physiological part of the brain, the neurons. And so that first 18 months, when that mom and that child have that bond, that's why you know there's. I'm going to use the word breastfeeding because I can't think of anything else. Um, but it's God, it was God's way of, I believe, making sure that that attachment, that connection was made with that mother. There has to be. There has to be eye contact. There has to be trust. If I cry, my mom's going to take care of me. And that's at a really, as we know, a zero to 18 months. That's at a real basic level. But if that child was left and wasn't fed, wasn't changed, wasn't, their needs wasn't dealt with, they develop very dysfunctional or non-functional understanding of, well, if I cry, nothing happens. And so they, they, they don't get that trust. It's, they, beca they can become very distrustful, and they will. And so, again, later in life as an adult, I, can't tr I don't trust anybody. And you think, why in the world, have, why, why do I have a problem with trust? Now, there's other, there can be other factors, but I'm saying that's the core, the basic, the foundation of trust. Then they, you know, you move into the next phase, you know, and, and, and whether or not it's um, different phases, uh, there's a lot of different theories out there on, 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 on the different phases, but a child, when they're born, the trust, the distrust, the autonomy, the shaming or, or saying, okay, you know, you made a mistake, that's great. You know, the potty training, the, the allowing them to <laughs> make, make messes sometimes and not shaming them not hollering at them and not, you know, that's not to say that they don't get told, no, you can't do that. That's the training part of it. But at the same time, you know, you, you know, you call a, a kid, you, you know, you're stupid or you're dumb or you're whatever. Th that's not, that's, that's only going, that's, it's great, but that's what you're shaping that child to believe. You know, the core beliefs and everything that Sister Paula was talking about. That's when it begins is at that early, the earliest stages in their lives. And then you're building on that, and you're building on that, and you're building on that. Um, and you go, f the, you know, you have the, the trust versus the mistrust. And I don't know if any of you guys study, like, Piaget, Erickson, and um, Bobley. I'm sorry, I'm probably going out of the scope of this. But anyways, 
but different um, things that happen early on. Autonomy versus shame, initiative versus guilt. Those are all the things that are developed before they're five. So they're going to either trust or not trust. They're, also, they're either going to feel like, hey, I can have a little independence. I'm okay with this. Or they're going to feel shamed. Or they're going to have guilt. Or they're going to be able to say, ah, I, can, I can try this on my own. It's okay. Um, and, and, and so you have that first five years that you're shaped and that you're foundational. And then for some of us, you know, I, I know last year, I think a lot of you got up and talked about different things that had gone on in your life, different traumas. And, um, you know, I, I think everybody has their share of, of not good events in their lives. Some are very traumatic. Um, and then you say, and you don't understand that resilience piece of why can, why did this one was able to get through something? And I struggled more with that, or I'm still, you know, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And again, that first five years, it could be very well. And I'm, and I'm, and, and what Sister Powell and I are talking about, it isn't, this isn't a time for blaming, you know, your mom, your dad, your uncle. And I'm not going to say, you know, that they weren't part of the reason or a big part of the reason, but it's to understand the why. Because if you understand the why, you can then say, okay, now I, I get it. Why, why do I, you know, sit in my house and all of a sudden have these, these anxiety attacks and there's nothing going on? Or why do I get so angry that I can't control myself? Or why? Because then you can, if you can know the why, then you can work on saying, okay, now I know what I need to do to get better. Um, and again, like I said, this is not to blame, you know, and, and, and this is what I want to say. Most of the time, a parent, a mother or a father or, or whoever the primary caregiver was, is, uh, has a hard time, it's because their mom was not, was un, did not have a secure, what we call a secure attachment, or they didn't know how to attach as they should with, a, with, with their child. It's not because they were a bad parent. They did the, a lot of them did the best they could, but still being able to give everything that's needed, sometimes that, that lacks a little bit. And so, you know, again, saying, okay, so, so then you move into that, you know, that traumatic period in your life, and we have what we call tra complex trauma. You know, I have countless people that come into my office, and they're just all just, a, they're just they're dysregulated. In other words, they're, they can't keep their emotions under control. They're going to zero to 120, back down to zero, all over the place. And they're thinking, why, why, I'm not normal. You know, that's a big word that they use. Why am I, why do I feel so out of place? And a lot of times it's that com you have that complex trauma. You grew up where somebody, where you didn't know where you went in the house. Was your mom and dad going to be fighting? Was, was your, you know, uncle going to come over? Or, and things that were not good situations. And you always had to be in this hyper arousal stage. And you always, you had to be always on edge looking around think, just to keep yourself safe. You go through years of that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get into a situation, you get married, you have a wonderful, you might have a wonderful spouse or whatever, and everything, quote, is good. And yet you still have this intense kind of, something's wrong, you don't trust somebody. It's because you lived in that chaotic environment for years. Your body doesn't know what else to do. It's just an automatic hyperarousal stage all the time, and it's just going all over the place. And, 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 and again, you wonder why. Or... I had a case recently, and I'm, I'm talking 120 miles an hour and just did not quit. I mean, they just trying to help that person to sit down and relax, and they didn't know how to do it. 
and it's because they were never able to do it. They just, they just always had to be one step ahead. They had to be ahead of the game. They had, because they don't, some people can't sit in a, in a quiet space for five or ten minutes. It's scary for them because they don't know what that's like. It's so alien to them. It's so, so just, it doesn't even make sense. And so they create chaos, or maybe some of you creating chaos. It's not that you're, you're a bad person or an odd person. It's because that's what you're used to. And so you feel safer in chaos than you do in a quiet, serene, relaxing environment. And so, again, that's all, Sister Paul just kind of wanted me to touch on a few of those things. But just understanding that, who, that your life experiences as a child have significantly impacted who you are as an adult. And so if you can learn to understand that, say, oh, my word, so that is why I can't sit still. Or that's why I, am, I, or I gravitate and I'm always after. I need, I need to feel that affection or I need to feel that, that friendship. And, if, you know, and I've got to have ten friends around me because you, it, that's insecurity. Or whatever those things are, a lot, most of that comes from what you, all those neural pathways that we're building as you were a baby and a young child. And so they developed. And so as an adult, why would you think they would be anything different? It's what, they've, it's what they've developed into. And so to think accurately, your accurate thinking is dysfunctional because that's what you grew up in. It, it, does that make sense at all? And so understanding that and saying, okay, I, I get it. I, you know, I, 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 and, and again, I'm not, we don't, we're not here to blame parents. We're not here to blame anybody. We're here to say, I understand. I, my, my, my body, my brain was wired to survive is what it really boils down to. And so how do I change that? And again, that's what Sister Powell was talking about because we are, we're new creatures in Christ. We're, we're new babes. And I think that's one of the reasons why God said that. I think we're babes in Christ. And all things, all the old stuff's passed away. All things have become new because we are able to say, okay, we're going to rewire the brain. But to re rewire the brain, the first and foremost thing, going back to the baby at age zero, 18 months, you have to, have to find that connection with God. Connection with, with friends in the church, great. Connection with even the bishop, great. But unless there's a true connection with God himself, because he is the only one that I could guarantee, put my life, my soul, my heart on, he will never, never, never leave you. He will never, never, never forsake you. And you have got to first get that in your soul and in your heart. And once you do that, then the rest of that stuff will all come. The, 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 the remapping will continue, and, we'll, and, and then you'll be able to say, now I can feel a sense of peace for the first time in my life. So... Sister Powell, there you go. Isn't she awesome with the brain? I can sit and listen to her for hours. Um, I really do want to piggyback on what Sister Jackie said. Um, so I think I'm going to change this up a little bit, and I want to almost start where I might have ended. I think for me, the passion came when I was doing my internship, actually, at Madonna. 
And I really wasn't sure why God had me there, to be honest. It was a medical hospital. It wasn't really what I had in mind, if you will. But I can remember I was taught to walk into those patients' rooms and to look at those people who, um, I was on R2, which was the stroke unit. And so every one of them had experienced some kind of a brain trauma as far as stroke goes. They ended up at Madonna, you know, they got through the stroke portion in the hospital and then they would come to Madonna for the rehab. So they, to be on R2, they had to um, be able to withstand three hours a day of, of brain therapy, really, either PT, OT, or speech. And I would walk into those patients' rooms and I would look at them laying in that bed. We're talking doctors and lawyers who couldn't talk, who couldn't walk, who would drool who, because they had had trauma on the brain. And I would say t words to them like, you can lay in that bed and you cannot do your therapy, but you will walk out of this hospital exactly as you walked in because you're here to retrain your brain. There's been a portion of your brain that has been damaged by a stroke and what Madonna is going to help you do is to rewire around that damage site. And if you listen to what I said, it kind of makes sense. I, I didn't really catch that. I got the brain part of it, if you will. But then my husband one day said, why don't we go to parables, whatever. So there I am at parables, and I see a book on the end cap called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Many of you know I absolutely adore her. And in that book, I, it, it blew my mind because it was exactly... I understood for the first time why God had me at Madonna. And what I realized is, is that, you know what, you can rewire your brain after a stroke. You can rewire your brain through what I believe was a gift from God called neuroplasticity. And that is literally the brain's ability to rewire. So what that also means is that those of us that have maybe experienced trauma, those of us that have had parents that have said awful things to us, those of us that have had wives or spouses or grandparents or whatever the case might be that we wired in some of these things what that also means is what we can wire it out but the bible talks about in romans 12 and 2 to do not be conformed to the patterns of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind i don't believe that god would have given us the ability or he wouldn't have given us the scripture to say, read, that to be transformed. What does it mean to be transformed? It means we, we, trans, we change something. Why would have God told us to do something, but then just kind of said, just joking, yeah. You really can't do that. That's just a figure of speech. I don't believe that. So the hope I want to give everyone here tonight is that even though maybe things have been done to you, against you, said to you, if it was wired in, it can be wired out. But what you can't do is lay in that bed and have it happen to you. You have to get up out of that bed and you have to go do the work. And what that means is, just like when people come down here to, you know, and pray for the Holy Ghost, we still get up and struggle with the flesh sometimes. Most of us do. You know, we, the old will, that old carnal nature likes to come back. Well, sometimes people come down and they pray and they're like, well, you know, God healed my mind. Why do I still struggle? Because you've got to take your thoughts captive every single day. You've got to get up and do the work. You can't just lay there and think that the transformation on the brain is going to happen. That's not how God intended for it to happen. We have to, we have to take our thoughts captive. We have to catch them and we have to look at them and we have to 
say, is this, is this what God says about me? Is this true? Is this, am I 100% sure this is true? My dad said I'm a loser, that I'll never amount to anything, that I have to be perfect, that I have to have perfect practice to be perfect. Some of those things, we took on a belief about the world around us that we're going to have to capture. And I'm talking actually more about this at ladies' retreat, but I have, the Lord has really been hitting me hard, and I just believe that these things come to our mind, and if they knock on the door, that negative thought, we can open the door and we can say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, go on your way. We can do that. But what happens when we open the door and we let that thing inside of our house? What happens when it gets into our mind and into our, our whole being? And as Jackie talked about, that was wonderful on how zero to five years old, when those things get wired in, and, and all of a sudden now you have a little four-year-old who doesn't trust the people around them. I believe God ha what, what God has spoke to me is that I have had to myself this week get on my face and repent before God that some of the things that I have believed about myself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He created me not to be broken, not to be stupid, not to be incompetent. That is not who I am created to be. But I have spent 40 years of my life believing that I'm stupid, that I am incompetent, and I am incapable. And everything that I have done that was anything significant, you have no idea how hard it was, how hard this was. I have had the worst week of my life. I have been sick. I, I, I'm stressed. It's like all of these things. But I am like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's because I have core beliefs myself that I am going to burn next week and say, I rebuke it. I don't have to believe those things. Just because that is a lie that I have believed doesn't make it true. None of that was in my notes. So, um, so kind of picking up where my sister left off, I have been passionate about this zero to five thing because I have so many people in my office every day that have no idea sometimes why they feel the way that they feel. And what I have learned is that the imprintation, if you will, on the brain from that zero to five years is like the way I explain it to my clients is, and I really told my husband I'm passionate about this for new parents, those of you that are going to still have babies. And when you bring that child home, that child has a blank hard drive for the most part. I know we have DNA and all of that stuff. But that child comes home from the hospital and, I've, and I wished, it's like, why are we, why are my kids adults before I've learned some of this stuff? I've done all the damage. It's done. It's over. I don't believe that because if I wired something into my children, they have the ability to wire it out with God. They can take all the stuff that's been done or said and they're going to be okay. Your kids are all going to be okay as well. But I just wanted, I just said, I feel like parents need to understand the gravity of the things that we do when when little Johnny soils his pants at two and a half years old, the way we react to them is important. The way, the things that we say, the things that we, you know, they come out of that, it, whether, you know, I am bad or what I did was bad. You see the difference in those two things? And sometimes those kids come out of that stage like they are bad. And I will tell you one thing I've learned, this is probably a bit controversial, but my counseling office believes that every person that has an addiction of some sort has a core belief that they are defective at the core. 
that that's where a lot of addictions come from, is feeling like that they themselves are defective, that there is something wrong with them. Not with their behavior, but with themselves as a core. And I say, God, help us. We are made in the image of God. He created us. And if we walk around this earth downcast and I'm broken and I'm defective and I'm, I'm a failure and I'm no good, who on the planet wants that? Are you going to walk up to somebody and say, tell me more about what you have. Tell me about this Jesus. When we're walking all broken and we got nothing to give because we're stupid and we're incompetent and we can't do nothing for God, who in the world are we going to talk to that's going to believe a thing we have to say? And this is the enemy's plan. This is why he's got us so bound by these core fears and beliefs that we have. And so, yes, pardon me, I am a little passionate about this because I believe this is at the core of why we don't see the victories that we want in our lives sometimes and why generational curses keep happening one generation to the next because someone doesn't wake up and say, it stops here. Just because Uncle John said something about me does not mean that it's true. Just because a teacher said something about me does not make it true. Just because a group of six-year-old six first graders laughed at me, that does not mean that I'm stupid. I have spent 40-something years feeling stupid because a group of six-year-old kids laughed at me. I have never failed a test in my life. My grades were great. I passed every test with very high scores, yet somehow this brain wants to tell me that I'm stupid and I'm done with it. And I said, God, forgive me. I don't walk around like I'm the smartest thing on the planet. God knows I don't have that problem. <laughs> She's sitting over there. <laughs> She's the brains. But you know what? I have enough in my brain that God created for me that I don't have to be intimidated by anybody. I can do exactly what God has called me to be. And you know, when, guys, I'm sorry, I'm not even on my notes. My poor husband, he'll, he'll do cleanup for me. Um, this is just a side note. Do you know why I believe some of us struggle so bad? Because I believe that we often do things that we are not called to do. I was talking to my husband about that this week. If we asked a fish to fly in the air, how successful is that fish going to be? If we ask a fish to get, into, uh, get the bird in the fish bowl, sometimes we've got we've to move in what God has called us to be. And sometimes if we're trying, if I'm trying to be psychologist Jackie, that's her strength, not mine. My husband's the pastor of the church, not me. There are, yes, he said, thank you, Jesus. There, there are things that we, that, so what I'm telling you is I believe sometimes we step into realms that may, we've got to make sure that what we're doing that God has called us to do and that we're not trying to compete with sister so-and-so. Let's move in what we have, what is our gifting? What is your gifting? And ask God to show you what that is. And I refuse to feel less than because I'm not like sister so-and-so. I have gifts, and you all have gifts. My gifts are not your gifts. Thank God. That's what makes the body of Christ so amazing, is that if we all work in our giftings, then the body is, is that's how the needs of the church are met. If everybody's the foot, 
everybody's the head. Like, so work in, and operate in what God has called you to do, not what God has called me to do. I'm not going to operate in what God has called Brother Kennedy to do or Sister Kim. I'm going to operate into the best of my ability to what God has given me. Oh, Jesus, help us. All right. So I'm here tonight to talk about what happens when a child comes home for zero to five years. And it, I kind of go up through, I don't know, I've, she went through initiative and guilt, which is three to five. Six to 12 is industry versus in, inferiority. This is where the development of self-esteem and all that. Okay. What happens is, I don't know if it's zero to five, zero to 10, zero to 20, but something when we are very young happens to us. Um, so what that, so it's a, so what happens is there, so in, I, as I explained a couple weeks ago in my life, it was the, the, my core fear, if you will, is of feeling humiliated. And the first, the first memory that I have of that was when I was sitting in a first grade classroom, sister Stevens asked what was two plus two. I raised my hand and I said five, the kids laughed. I will never forget that day. It has forever impacted me to feel my brain is now constantly saying Shannon don't speak out because you'll you'll embarrass yourself Shannon don't say that because you're going to humiliate yourself they're going to laugh at you or if you say something wrong you know my brain was that they were all snickering at me or whatever and it's like all of these core fears that that come up in me so what is a core fear a core fear is a single thought construct that is responsible for all of our struggles it is the essential interpretation one makes early in childhood for how life can be threatening and can become the lens through which that we see and we view our reality. Identifying our core fear. So let's look at identifying our, what, our, what, what our core fears are. Um, and I like to call this a, it's a dance. Yep, and Brother Jeremy's going to hand out a handout for you. Um, and I'm really passionate and, I'm sorry, Dana too, over here. Um, when we're dealing like with teams on the church, you know, whether it's the praise team or the music or the Sunday school team or the youth team or whatever, you'll notice sometimes that in these teams or in families, whether it's with a husband or a wife or a mother and a child or whatever the case may be, when you have two human beings interacting with each other. What happens is, is when our core, individual core fears are triggered, there is a response to that. And so some of you probably know maybe what, what yours are and what some of yours aren't. Maybe this is the first time you've kind of been brought to, this has been brought to your attention or whatever. So let's look at, I'm looking at the thicker one. Um, so a core fear is a damaging dance that everyone involves themselves in which basically stems from fear. So every individual has one, typically at least one. Um, so it might be that someone fears losing power, feeling controlled, a threat of disconnection. Um, and what they, whoever they are, believe is that a woman's core fear is almost universal for disconnection. And for men, it's helplessness or feeling controlled. So our core fears often manifest during the most difficult challenges of our life. So when you feel stressed, when maybe there's marital conflict, or there's conflict on a team, this is when you will mostly see 
these, you'll, you'll, that this is when it will kind of manifest itself the most. So on the paper, um, if you read the top, the instructions, it basically, and I'm not going to really ask you to do this tonight. I really gave you this for the week ahead of you. When you maybe get into a conflict with your husband or maybe with a child or with a coworker, I want you to, and it kind of walks through what, what you do. There's some kind of a conflict of some sort, um, whatever it might be. And I want you to identify, first of all, the feeling that that brings up for you. And then I don't actually have it in front of me. Um, does somebody have one I can, God, I use these every day. You'd think I would. So, and then the third one is identify your fear. So how did this conflict make you feel about yourself? What did the conflict say about you and your feelings? And so kind of go through, and then if you look over in the right box, it says what that feeling sounds like. And so kind of look through that and see if you identify in any of those areas. And then once you've, and some people have more than one. Um, if you have someone that has a lot of, trauma or a lot of um, things that have occurred to them, they can have numerous ones. And that those are, tend to be the people that we see every day. Um, and then number four would be identify your reactions. And this is where I really want to shine a flashlight a little bit. Many of us cannot go back and undo what some of these core fears have done to us, if you will, our reaction. But God has given us what is called the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex. It's this part of the brain. It is the last part of the brain to develop at about 25 years old. And this is our ability to reason, to be rational, to slow things down, and to think before we speak, to make good decisions, to be wise. It's all in this part of the brain. And so if you find yourself one of those people that is easily triggered, whether it be traffic, Bishop Powell, or maybe, <laughs> or perhaps it's you say something wrong and maybe you feel stupid, okay? It's one of those things. What, where the control you have is to put a bit of daylight between what you feel, whether it's humiliated, ignored, unloved, defective, and all of those things. It's identify your reaction. So what do you do when you feel? And so in look at above. How do you react when you feel that way? So identify your common verbal or physical reaction to deal with that feeling. And so check all that apply. Some of us have more than one. Some of us withdraw. Some of us escalate a little bit. Um, Mine is I tend to be a little passive-aggressive. That would probably be my primary um, one. And I'm really, and so the, so the deal with this is to really look at this and to be able to identify, okay, what do I do? Am I a screamer? Do I scream at my kids? Do I yell? Do I, do I become aggressive? Do I become real, like, do I become very defensive? And I just immediately start finding all the reasons why what you're saying is wrong slow the brain down and say, God, help me to react to this in the way that you would have me to react. This is where the control is. And this is where, as a church, I feel like when we're on, whether, again, whether we're on a praise team or a music or a Sunday school team or whatever, whatever, a work team, 
we want to be the light in the world. And if we're walking around constantly reacting in ways that are not appropriate, we are not being the light of this, the world. We are not salt like we are instructed to be. And so our responsibility, I believe, is to kind of become more aware of these things and to say, God, help me. Help me to slow this brain down and to put a bit of daylight between what I've been triggered with and how I am responding to it. So this is going to be a help for you. So, so for next week, and then if you look at the end of this, number five, look at the items you starred in response to question three. So list the three or four main feelings. And then um, number... Um, yeah, so and those become... Or what, and then that kind of list, look at, the, look at what number five is. Look at what you start in number three, the, so list the feelings and then what are the core fears and then what are your reactions to them and really try to come up with a plan to say, okay, you know, I tend to be a screamer or, and, and understanding that, so then what happens with this wonderful dance that I was talking about is that this happens and then your reaction to something that was just triggered in you your reaction then triggers, that becomes the person that you're with, the conflict for them. And so the way you react to something, then they, re then all of a sudden maybe you yell, well you yelling then makes them react and to feel, you know, embarrassed or whatever it is. And then they react in a way that maybe they feel invalidated or maybe they feel insignificant or maybe you make them, maybe you're making your spouse feel insignificant or whatever it is and then we do what's called this dance that because I get triggered I react because I react you feel because you feel then you and it's just this awful dance that really goes back and forth um, a couple of questions that I use a lot in therapy to kind of you know if you whatever whatever situation that you might take um, Actually, I'm gonna, I want to do a read through a bit of a case study, and I'm going to try to read this fast, Bishop, but I want, to, I want them to kind of hear, how much time do I have? Five minutes? Seven minutes. Okay. There's so much to this. I could, I, you know me, I can talk for three hours. But, so I want to read this story through, and I want you to listen to the dance, okay? So I'm going to read really fast. One night while Jan was working the evening shift at a local hospital, her husband John was bored and since he loved to decorate the house, he decided to change the arrangement of the master bedroom furniture. Jan usually loves what her husband does. He moved the bed, he repositioned the knickknacks and their shelves, relocating the dresser and generally he gave the room a new look. He then went to bed and he turned out the lights. When Jan got home hours later, Jan didn't switch on the lights because she didn't want to wake up her husband, John. How sweet. She tiptoed into the bedroom and immediately smashed her little toe on the table that hadn't been there when she left for work earlier in the day. She then tripped and crashed into a pair of antique skis that were placed against the wall, again, not where they had been earlier when she left that morning. The skis, in turn, tumbled onto a shelf containing all her beloved precious moment figurines that had been given to her by her grandmother, who was since deceased. 
The combination of the breaking glass, falling objects, and screams awakened her husband, John. He bolted from the bed, forgetting that he had moved everything, and he ran straight into a wall, bloodying his nose. This was not one of your typical nights, to say the least. When the lights came on, they began shouting at each other. Jan criticized John for moving the furniture without first talking with her about it. Her angry words made John feel like a failure. John minimized Jan's concerns and defended his decision to redecorate the room. His words made her feel as if her opinions didn't matter, which then triggered her core fear of invalidation and insignificance. The shouting and the deaf and the, all of this went on and the sarcasm continued and the fear dance was in full swing. Do you see it? They pushed each other's fear buttons. John pushed, John, Jan pushed John's fear of failure button. John pushed Jan's fear of invalidation. It's all they needed for a night of dancing. It's amazing how we can all try to get the other person to stop making us feel failed or invalidated or whatever the core fears we have, when in reality, others are simply revealing what our core fears are. So if you look at this dance, Think of all the different things. That really wasn't the problem. The moving of the furniture wasn't the problem. It was that poor Jan felt insignificant, and then she called him names, and, she, and all of the things started. And this is the type of night that many of us can have if we're not careful, if we don't recognize that the issue is never the issue. The surface problem is never the real problem. It's what's down deep. And so sometimes within, in therapy, I like to ask, why is that a problem? So if sister so-and-so annoys you really bad or your husband says something to you that really hurts your feelings, ask yourself the question, why is this a problem for me? Why is, why is this such a big deal? What am I afraid will happen next and what am I afraid that I will miss or lose? And you will probably get down a little deeper under that iceberg. It's never what you see on the outside. It's typically what's down deep. And there's always more. When, when people offend us, when people hurt our feelings, when people get on our last nerve, that's never the issue. There's always things deeper. That's there's some core fears in you that they have triggered. That is your responsibility to dig out and to repent of it and to say, God, forgive me. I want to not be so reactionary to these things. And lastly, I need... if. Sister Kim, if you could hand these glasses out, I would like six of you, this will be my last demonstration for the core beliefs. So what, what, so that was core fears, and I just very quickly want to run through, when we have core fears, my core fear is of feeling humiliated. When I, when my brain felt humiliated, my brain then decided that I was incompetent, so, th so the belief then became I'm incompetent, I'm incapable. So those of you that have the glasses that I gave you, what I want you to understand is, is that when we feel these, feeling, these core fears, our brain has to make sense out of that fear. So it creates a, a, a narrative. It creates a dialogue. And we then see the world through a certain set of lenses. So everyone looks at the world differently. Two people can have the exact same experience and yet have two very different interpretations of what happened. Core beliefs are deeply held beliefs that influence how we interpret our, our experiences. So think of a pair of, uh, think of a core belief as a pair of sunglasses. Everyone has a different shade that causes them to see things differently. So those of you that got a pair of sunglasses, please put them on. Can you please stand? 
Look at these cool dudes. Okay. <laughs> what I can tell you is every one of these people that have on a different pair of sunglasses, their experience of the room right now is different from each other because their view of the room is based on what their core fear and what their core beliefs are. So when I, so the situation might be that Sister Betty over here, she meets a new person and she thinks about asking them to go out for coffee, okay? Hmm, so Betty's like, you know, I, I, I've, this COVID thing was a long time and I, you know, I kind of think maybe I'm gonna ask Sister Emily to go out for coffee with me because I think that would be fun. So if her core, if she has a core belief that says I'm not worthy, her thought might be, why would they ever go out with me? So her behavior then becomes what? She's not going to ask them because her core belief, if she believes at the core that she's unworthy, then that core belief is going to make her believe that if she asks Sister Emily, she's going to say no. So then what's she going to do? She's just not going to ask her. So, so that's her, so the way, what, how that ended is she just doesn't ask. You have Sister Karen back here who has the core belief that I am worthy. The same scenario, she's, COVID was a long time. She thinks I want to go out and have some fun with some girls. She, I'm going to ask Sister Emily to go out for coffee with me. Her core belief is that I am worthy. Her thought would be, we might have fun together if we go out. So what's her behavior going to be? She's going to ask. So she'll go to coffee with both of you if, if that, if you... <laughs> Okay, you can be seated. We're almost done. So do you, want, do you see what the, how core beliefs can really affect what we do? Hugely. So that's why it is very important that we know what our core beliefs are. Many people have negative core beliefs that cause harmful consequences. Um, come on up, Bishop. To begin challenging your negative core beliefs, you must first, you need to identify what they are. So there's some examples here. So this is another piece for next week that I want you try to figure out what some of your core fears and what some of your core beliefs are. And then with the help of God, next week we're going to burn them. And our brain is going to watch those things burn up. And guess what that is? That's guided imagery. And the brain loves that. Because it's going to watch those things just shrivel up and say, there, Satan. No more. Amen. Amen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And one of the things that my wife said tonight was, you know, God wouldn't say be transformed by the renewing of your mind if it were impossible. He also wouldn't tell us in 2 Corinthians 10 to take our thoughts captive if that were impossible. Okay? And, and I go back to the, the analogy she used when she was at Madonna having to tell these patients that if you do the work then you can come out of here and, and walk out of here and, and function again. And if you don't, well, you'll, you'll remain here. Right. Um, so, again, it's, it's taking these principles and doing the work. It's saying, I want to make a difference in my life. I want to show that the power of God has been effective in my life. Amen? Praise God. I want us to stand together, and we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us and lead us. I'm certain if you would have any questions during this, you could uh, ask my wife or Jackie, um, ask myself. I've, I've worked through a little bit of this myself, 
um, and we'll help you through it. But again, next week, uh, bring that back. You don't have to write it on these papers because you might want to keep them for uh, the reference. But uh, if you do, that's fine. But uh, write whatever that is, or if there's a couple, and uh, when we're done next week, uh, the altar call, if you will, we're, we'll go uh, have the fire pit on the on the back uh, concrete down here downstairs, and we'll have a moment where we will worship and pray and give that to God. Amen? Lord Jesus, help us to do the hard work tonight. Help us to look inwardly and let your word be the mirror that we look into and see ourselves, Lord, how you would see us. Know our hearts and know our thoughts, and God, help us to see these things, not to feel condemned, but rather convicted that we can make the change through your word. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help each one of us to bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, that we would walk in the authority and anointing that you've called us to do, uh, walk in, that we would fulfill your will and be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. God bless you. Let's be the church.